we're going to be in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Um, so I'm going to take a little bit of time introducing uh, the letters of John. And John the Apostle, who we, who we see in the Gospels, uh, was most likely a cousin of Jesus, a younger cousin. And uh, he is credited with writing five books. Uh, four bear his name, even though he doesn't give his name to him. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into the authorship and how we know he wrote it. Uh, there's a lot of what we call, if you look at the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation, when you compare things that, how they're written, uh, it's obvious that, that somebody wrote all of the same person. Uh, but one thing we know is even though John didn't say he wrote it, there's markers, there's indications. But the early church fathers give John credit for writing them. Um, you know, sometimes the early church fathers, uh, their theology may be a little off, but their, the accuracy of history isn't. So when guys who lived at the end of the first century start the second century, some of them who were students of John, guys like Polycarp, Papias, guys like Ignatius, others, uh, and other, uh, other guys, uh, when they, Eusebius, when, when those guys say that John wrote something, you should probably take it. Now, there's, it's not, it's not gospel. I mean, they're not infallible, but it's good indication. And there are things within what John wrote, those, those letters that help us understand that. There's a lot of similarities. We'll point those out when we go through our study. Most likely, the, the books that John wrote were the very, very last books. And he wrote them almost certainly, almost certainly after 85 A.D., uh, people who say, try to get him to write that before, that the, the evidence and what they look at is just very slim. Uh, John, what happens in, in John is John, uh, you know, John served and he did, the, and did what the Lord called him to do and he went to the places the Lord called him. And Paul wrote and Peter wrote and they, all these guys began dying off. John ended up in the area of Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is in Asia Minor, Turkey, where the letter of Paul was, uh, wrote to Ephesus. And you see his journeys in Acts to Ephesus. Uh, it, we probably don't realize just how important Ephesus really was. It, in, in the area of Asia Minor, Turkey, uh, that area, uh, was, was just really the growing uh, economic cultural center of the eastern part of the Roman Empire. Really, culturally, it was more significant during this time than Greece. We think of Athens. The glory of Athens was long gone. Uh, outside of Rome, which was the center of everything, uh, and it was in the western part of the Roman Empire, the, the area in Asia Minor was, was the key to so much economic and cultural growth. Uh, not only is the book of Ephesians written to Ephesus, uh, Peter, when he wrote First and Second Peter, a general letter had the area that Ephesus was in mind, Asia Minor, Hebrews did. Paul wrote First and Second Timothy, and Timothy was in Ephesus. In other words, this, this was in a really important place. And in the book of Revelation, where Ephesus is one of the seven cities, there are seven cities mentioned that represent numerous cities. This is kind of is the area also where 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were addressed to. Uh, there, are, there are indications of what was going on in the time that will help shed light on the letters and the books that John wrote. He most likely wrote his gospel first. Then he would write the, the epistles. The order he wrote the epistles doesn't matter. The first John, second, third, what, what order he wrote them is not important. Then probably wrote Revelation last. During this time, there was an emperor named Domitian. And Domitian was the cruelest of the Roman emperors to date. And he persecuted the church without mercy. When uh, this summer in July, we're going to do a deep fry, and I'm doing it on the book of Revelation. 
And, uh, and so I'll, I'll do, go into a lot of detail on that. Uh, revelation, to understand revelation is to understand the persecution of Domitian. But the persecution of Domitian is also prevalent while these epistles were being written. And in the area of Asia Minor, there was basically uh, the, the local government and the Gulf of culture had a big uh, emphasis on emperor worship, the worship of Domitian. And so it wasn't simply Domitian who was persecuting the churches, but the culture, the government, the authorities were persecuting them as well. It was a great pressure on them. In addition, heresy or false teaching had crept into the church and was undermining and working from within to destroy it. You had pressure from the outside in terms of persecution. You had pressure from the inside in terms of false teaching. And the fundamental false teaching is something we call Gnosticism. It comes from the word gnosis, our word knowledge. And that's what gnosis means, knowledge comes from that. Gnosticism is a very complicated philosophy that infected not only Christianity, but pagan religions and Judaism and other cultures as well. And Gnosticism has at its heart two fundamental things. One is that whatever salvation is, and I use that word loosely with Gnosticism, whatever enlightenment is, whatever, whatever achieving the higher era level is, comes through knowledge. It's an elitist system. You have to have right knowledge. You have to know the secrets. Uh, it's like a it's like a, this grand fraternity or society where there's all these secret rights and privileges and you've got to know them to get into them. The other thing that Gnosticism had at its heart was dualism. And dualism simply means this, and it's a Greek philosophy that goes back many, many centuries, that there is a distinction between the physical and the spiritual. The physical is evil. It is corrupt. Your body, the, the things you do, the sins you commit... Your life, it's corrupt. The spiritual is good, and, there, and it's two separate parts of your, of your person. You have a physical self and a spiritual self. Now, we would agree with that as Christians, but we understand them not as separate, but intertwined. They impact one another. The spiritual impacts the physical. That's why we pray to God for healing. We pray to God for guidance. For help us, God, not to sin. The physical impacts the spiritual. So when you sin, you feel guilt. When you sin, your relationship with God is strained. Within this separation was the belief in many multiple types of gods and, 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 and a whole crazy weird system of layers of deity. So the understanding is that the world was created not from the Holy One God Father, but from an emanation of deity that was basically responsible for the production of earth, but for lack of a better term. It's a, it's a weird system. And in this system, when it came to Christianity, then Jesus presented this unbelievable problem. Christianity presented the problem as to Judaism because we believe there's one God who created everything, and everything is a whole. And Jesus comes, and he is God in the flesh, fully man, fully God. The two are not two different natures, but one nature. And, it, and, it's, and it's who he is. Gnosticism, that would fall into in outside the, the parameters of Gnosticism. That would be, to them, a false teaching. And so what Gnosticism, when it infected Christianity in Asia Minor, what it began to teach was one of two things. It either taught that Jesus was a human who lived a godly, good, moral life, however you want to put it, and, and 
wasn't really God, but was this exalted human who lived and achieved the ultimate knowledge. He was the ultimate example of Gnosticism. Or, and in the case of, of, of uh, Ephesus, what was happening there, that Jesus was this human, and the emanation of deity known as the Christ came upon him at his baptism, which we see in the Gospels, and left him at the cross. And he only appeared to be deity. There was the appearance, and that word appearance comes, the Greek word docetic, and it, this form is called asceticism, and this is what John dealt with, that Jesus only appeared as deity. He really wasn't deity. The Christ and the Jesus were two separate beings in Jesus, not one nature, but two natures. Now, I tell you this, and it sounds, this is complicated and convoluted, because when you read the book of 1 John, if you understand this, and I'll point this out a lot, 1 John makes a whole lot of sense of the things John's talking about, especially at the very beginning. And we begin to see, okay, we understand what John was dealing with in this issue. When you read the book of Revelation, to understand the immense persecution of Domitian is to understand the context of the entire 22 chapters of Revelation. To understand the, the heresy, the false teaching, is to understand a great deal about 1 John. 1 John really reads more, not so much as a letter, as, as a teaching tract. It is almost a catechism, a, a teaching book. Uh, when, when someone comes to Christ and they say, what should I read first? Or, they, you know, I said, when you become a follower, read John and then read 1 John. In fact, sometimes I'll say, just read 1 John. I want them to read that book first. Read it, pray through it, understand it, read it two or three times, get a feel for it. And then you can go to John, depending on the situation. Uh, 1 John is vitally important from that perspective. John was probably, when he wrote this at Ephesus, he wrote it as a general letter of teaching to combat the false teaching of Gnosticism to Asia Minor. His students, such as, as uh, Polycarp and Papias, they, they give credence to this. Later on, a guy named Irenaeus, who was born in about 150 AD and lived to the early 3rd century, uh, writing against uh, heresies and against Gnosticism would reflect back on this. So this becomes a critical book today because we have a lot of false teachings infecting the church. A lot of false teachings within the scope of Christianity. And First John can give insight into all that. So I spent 10 minutes just setting this up because I want you to understand this. Uh, in John 5, 13, he says, these things we write unto you uh, that you may know you have eternal life. John wrote this book to give the assurance of their salvation. But that salvation is based on Jesus and who is God in the flesh. Now, when John wrote his gospel, he begins with the concept of logos. In the beginning was the word, logos. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then verse 14 said, and the word, the logos, became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. You can see how he says the word is flesh, you know, the, 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 refuting the teaching of Gnosticism. The, the importance of that is John focuses, the gospel focuses on the logos. First John is going to focus on what the Logos provides, which is life. So John 1.1 begins this way. It's a beautiful beginning. 
what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the logos of life, logos of zoe. And the life was manifested or made known, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested or made known to us. And what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that joy may be made complete. Whoever wrote 1 John undoubtedly wrote John the Gospel. There's too many similarities. A lot of scholars or so-called scholars will try to show the differences, but the similarities are, are, are too much. And one of the important similarities is the apostolic authority with which John wrote. John didn't even have to tell him who he was. But what John writes in these first four of this preface is he deals with an authority that he has and an authenticity that he has. I spend a lot of time, if you, throughout the course of a year, many messages, I'll, I'll talk about authority and authenticity. Sometimes that's the subject I'm preaching on. Sometimes I'll just mention them. Authority, what, what is the authority with which we, we proclaim things? Well, it's, for me, it's the Word of God. But Paul talks about his authority. John will talk about his authority. But it's not just that, it's the authenticity. They needed to have experienced and John writes as one who had firsthand experience. I say many times when I preach about John, he is the last apostle standing. They're all dead. He's seen it all. John's, John's an old man. And he, is, he, has seen everything. he has seen the entire history of Christianity, all of it. He knows what Peter wrote. He was a friend of Peter. He knows what Paul wrote. Probably met Paul a few times. He knows, all, he knows what these guys taught. He understands all of this. There's no other, all the books in the New Testament have been written. Now, they don't have the New Testament, and John doesn't have a New Testament. I don't think that. But, I mean, everything has been done except what John has to write. And so John's going to write. And notice the authority with which he writes. He says, what was from the beginning? Now, in John, he says, in the beginning was the word. There he is speaking about the beginning of time. At the beginning of creation, the Word already existed and was God. It predated creation. The beginning here is not the beginning of creation. It is the beginning of the gospel or Jesus. So he's talking about when did the gospel begin. So he's saying, what was from the very beginning, that is the gospel. Here's what he says. We have heard it. We have seen it with our eyes and looked and touched it with our hands. So notice the authority and the authenticity. We heard what Jesus said. I heard it. Now, the we here is the we of the apostles. We apostles, for which I'm the last one. We heard it. Now, listen, if you have, if you have Jesus and you have John who was with him and you have these heretics who are telling you what Christianity is, who has the authority? John has the authority. It's not, even, it's, not even a, it's not even close. They're not the authority about Jesus. The, the, the Gnostics would come to these churches, and they would say, okay, that's good that you have that, but let me teach you the truth about Christ. Let me teach you the truth about Jesus. And they would sneak in like snakes, slithering in, and they would start teaching this garbage with an air of authority about what Jesus was like and who he was. And, and John said, let me tell you something. I was there. I'm the authority. 
It's me. I heard it. I saw it with my eyes. And I touched it. Now, here's the thing. The Gnostics would say, you know, Jesus was this man, you know, and this, and this Christ emanation came upon him. And he was, he was, he, Jesus was not really the Christ. The Christ simply appeared in Jesus. Johnson, let me tell you something. I touched him. I heard him. Saw him. The word of life is what he says concerning the logos of Zoe, the word of life. The word life, I say this all the time whenever I deal with the word life because it's important. There's two Greek words, bios, we get biology, means flesh. And then Zoe, which means life is the way it's meant to be, which is eternal life. John says, the logos, which leads to life. Now, in John's gospel, the focus is on the logos. In the epistle, the focus is on the zoe, it is on the life. He's talking about the life. He says the life we have from the logos. The logos, that word. I heard it, I saw it, I touched it. It's the word that brings you the life that you now have. John is the authority. But part of the reason he's the authority is that the authenticity that he has as being the one who's experienced it. So here's the thing. In Christianity, would you rather have a preacher, teacher, who talks about faith as it is proclaimed in the Gospels and claiming to have experienced that faith or do you want someone who preaches another gospel, who changes up the meaning of it because they have never truly experienced that faith? See, when you experience salvation, you proclaim the truth. When you've never experienced truth, you don't proclaim it. And I will say this. And I don't, I don't have any problem about what I'm about to say. People who preach or teach a twisted, perverted gospel do not know Jesus. Amen. They may claim to. Now, I'm not going to judge their life publicly. <laughs> there simply is no way. You can experience the transforming power of Christ and not preach that Jesus is the only way to God. Listen, I, you can preach, you can make mistakes. I'll do that. that uh, when I get to heaven, I'm sure I'm going to have to have a uh, sit down and get, get a come to Jesus meeting <laughs> about some of the things that I taught that weren't quite, you, you're going to say you were wrong about that. I'm going to say, well, I thought I was pretty close. You know, you weren't close. And you, were, you way overstated this. And you just ignored this. And you messed this up. And in this state, you, you preached this message. And you got that wrong. I said, well, I know, but I corrected it three years later. I said, no, I don't care. You got it wrong. I get that. I'll probably, you know, have to. I, I dread the day in heaven when I got to stand there and say, Joe. And God says, you know, Joe was actually right on that. And you were wrong. I'm going to hate that moment. But I will never have to apologize for my understanding of the gospel. Because this is the authority. I'm, I'm telling you, this is what John said. I ain't making this up. This is John. And when you preach something other than what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us, and Paul writes about, and Peter writes about, you have lost authority, and you've lost authenticity. It's not real. 
And I know churches who do that and they grow. Pastor, okay. In verse 2, he talks about the word of life. And in verse 2, he says this, And this life was manifest. The word manifested is to make known, to become plain or clear. Uh, you know, <laughs> today is my major study day, and I'm, I'm preparing Sunday sermon on, uh, what am I preaching? Oh, from Romans. And uh, <laughs> it all runs together. And Paul in Romans talks about that which was made plain to them. The word plain is the same root word as the word manifested. It's, that's what's, it's what is revealed. And so it, it is the making clear. Sunday I'm preaching about the revelation of God to us and how we know God. And, and so there's overlap here because there's a lot, most of the scripture overlaps. You may not realize this, but most of the time it overlaps because there isn't that many different messages. It's just different ways of presenting it. John is saying that word of life is clear to you. It's manifested. And, and we saw it and testified. And proclaim to you, and so as we've seen it, and now we both testify and we proclaim to you. The word testify is the word for martyr, witness. We will bear witness of this, and the word proclaim is the word to preach a message. So we are messengers and testifiers, witness of what we've seen in this life, and it is eternal life, which is with the Father and manifested to us. So this life is eternal life. It's life that never ends. Now, with this, two things John is kind of saying about life. The life, which is Jesus, is first of all eternal. It was from the beginning, and it will always be. There was no beginning, no end. And it is historical in Jesus. Now, here, here's the thing. Get this. If you were a Gnostic and you separated the spiritual the eternal from the physical, the historical. And, and, and they did this, by the way, so they could sin. Uh, I'm not going to get to it today in the text. The reason they did this, what they taught is you can sin all you want and it doesn't affect the spiritual. That's what Gnosticism taught. You can, they were what we call antinomianism. They, they, they did not believe in law. They did not believe in a moral code. You could, you could live absolutely any godless, immoral pagan way you want, but as long as you had right knowledge, you were saved. People believe that today, by the way. It's the belief that, well, I know I'm a, I do a lot of things, but in the end, you know, I'll be okay. God will save me because I believe him, and, and he made me this way. God made me to do all these things, so it's not really wrong. I mean, they just, that's the same thing today. And John saying the, the Lagos is eternal and historical wrapped into one. And it's been made known to us. We know it. Because God made it known, he said. So, he says then, in verse 3, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. So that you might, and, here's, and that, so that speaks of the result. We proclaim all this. Why are we telling you this? There's a clause in there. And then that clause, is the hint of clause, very important. With the result that you might have fellowship with us. Why, why is John telling all these churches? He's saying, hey, all this false teaching, we're going to clarify this. Here's why. So we can be united together in fellowship. Now, he said, I, I have fellowship with the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I have fellowship with the Father. I have fellowship with Jesus. 
I have fellowship with all my apostle friends that are all dead, and they're with glory in heaven just waiting on me. He said, I want you to have fellowship too, but that fellowship requires you to understand what truth is. You're not having fellowship with me if you lack truth. Let me tell you this. And my uh, staff knows this. I'm not an ecumenical guy. I'm not big on all the, all the, I'm not at all big on all the religions coming together. I had no desire for that. I'm not even big on all the churches coming together because I don't like to be associated with churches who preach what is false. And so I just don't have fellowship with them. Not because I'm a, well, maybe it's because I'm a jerk. I don't know. Here's what I know. My, I, I love them. And if, if people are lost, I want them to be saved with the passion you can't believe. But my fellowship is with believers. I would rather spend time with a lost person who is honest about being lost than with a person who claims Christ and teaches and believes and preaches heresy. I don't want to be associated with what they teach or preach. Because the lost person will not make the distinction. I want them to see the authenticity of my, my faith. I'm not worried about them knowing I'm a sinner. They know I'm a sinner. I know, they're going to see my pride. They're going to see my temper. <laughs> Had a metal, my wife's fault, her metal tab, shelves she has to have at Christmas. I have to take them up, put them down. They collapsed on me. <laughs> Lord, have mercy on my temper. They don't care about that. But when they see me teach something that is false about faith and claim to be something, claim something that they know in their heart is wrong, that really can damage my witness. It's hard to have fellowship. And, 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 and I don't have a problem with that. People get upset with me about it. I don't care. Here's the thing. We have fellowship. And here it says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Notice, Jesus, Jesus Christos, Jesus Christ, his Son, his Son both in terms of title and physicalness. Jesus, the person, Christ, the Messiah. It's who it is. These things we write so that our joy collectively may be complete. And the word complete in the Greek is the word for finished whole. So that we write this stuff so that we will be on the same page about Jesus and the joy of our faith will be whole. It's a powerful introduction. I was going to do the whole first chapter. I can't do it. It is a powerful introduction. And listen, in the world in which we live, we love people. Absolutely. John's going to talk about love. He's going to talk about love so much in this chapter. And, and no excuse for us not loving people. I don't, ever, don't ever think I'm going to teach that. I absolutely love people. I'm supposed to absolutely love people. I'm not saying I do it. I'm just on, I'm on the road to doing it. But that doesn't mean loving doesn't mean we tolerate heresy. Okay? Loving people doesn't mean we put up with false teachings about Christ. Listen, if a person is not a believer and believes something's wrong, they have false teachings with false beliefs. They're all going to have that. It's okay. I'm, I'm helping them come to Jesus. I'll put up with their false teachings. You tell me you're a follower of Jesus. 
And I'm not talking about just some minor differences on baptism or communion or your view of the end times is different than mine and you haven't learned it the correct way yet. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about at the heart of the cross. I'm talking about salvation. If you're teaching the resurrection, it's not real. If you're denying the virgin birth of Jesus, if you're teaching there's other ways to come to God besides Jesus Christ, that cannot be tolerated. We love them. We're not tolerating. So we need to understand the difference between that. Now, so 1 John is not written for people who aren't believers. So it's written to believers. So what I'm teaching you might be a, a little bit tougher or harsher than what I might if I was talking to a bunch of lost people. Say at one of the churches down the street. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, sorry, that's just a joke. They're not, I couldn't because they're not open. But here's the thing. What we believe matters. What we believe matters. Because what we believe gives evidence of authority and authenticity. That's important. So, uh, first Wednesday back, any questions? I'll happy to answer. We got a couple minutes before y'all need to go. Anybody have a question they want to ask? Okay, that's good. Uh, y'all stay warm, stay healthy. See you Sunday. Adios.